Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. He's the hardest working cop in the city. All my life I wanted to be a cop. I can remember nothing else. With the strongest force working against him. I'll have it for you tonight. Midnight. And you better have $300. Right? We got a call about you from downtown. No, I ain't saying who. They just said you, you couldn't be trusted, you know? Because I don't take money, right? <laughs> Frank. Let's face it, who can trust the cop who don't take money? Nothing's going to happen from the inside. The top guys have been cops too long. You'd be willing to go outside the department. Feeling me up every day. How am I going to wear a wire? They can send you in first enough times until finally one day you're going to walk in the wrong door. Al Pacino is taking the good guys down. Serpico. Hey there, it's Brian Davis. And for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Serpico from 1973. The studio was Paramount Pictures. The release date was December 5th, 1973. The running time, 130 minutes, and the rating was R. The budget, $3.3 million, and the box office took in $27.2 million, making it the 10th ranked movie of 1973. That $27 million would be the equivalent of $166 million today. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 90% fresh from 41 reviews. Their critics' consensus is an engrossing, immediate depiction of early 70s New York. Serpico is elevated by Al Pacino's ferocious performance. So I really don't remember the first Al Pacino movie I saw. It was probably The Godfather, but then again, it may have been when he played Big Boy Caprice in the 1990 adaptation of Dick Tracy with Warren Beatty. Though I really wouldn't consider that an Al Pacino film. It was just the first time I think I I saw him. But in any case, I likely saw Serpico sometime in high school on television and was, of course, enthralled with how good Pacino was in the film. And for a film that is just a little over two hours, Pacino is in almost every scene, and you still feel like wanting wanting to see him more. He's that good in the film. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. It is, of course, based on a true story and a real person named Frank Serpico. The screenplay was adapted from the novel of the same name written by Peter Moss. Early on, the film adaptation was going to be a vehicle for Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And as great as they are together, I really think that would have been a wrong move, and it would have totally changed this film. Producer Martin Bregman started as a talent manager but was looking to do something different and possibly producing films, and he approached Peter Moss's agent about adapting Serpico into a film. Al Pacino was one of Bregman's clients at the time. What people forget is in 1973, even though Pacino was in the first Godfather film, the Godfather was considered more of a Brando and a Francis Ford Coppola film at the time. Pacino wouldn't get his chance to really shine in the franchise until the sequel in 1974. Bregman initially couldn't get a studio to develop and finance Serpico because the major studios felt that cop films had run their course and that the theaters were overrun with a gluttony of cop stories. The difference was that Serpico was a true story, and it's not a shoot 'em up type of film, where the cop is like a hero in an old western. That's what the other cop films at the time were. So finally, Bregman went to famed producer Dino De Laurentiis, who had made a film based on another Peter Moss book a few years earlier called The Vlachi Paper, starring Charles Bronson. De Laurentiis was intrigued by Pacino being the star of the film, and as a fellow Italian, he agreed to help finance the film. Bregman was fascinated with the real Frank Serpico, how he lived by a true moral code, unlike some of New York's cops Bregman knew, many of whom were his friends growing up. 
This is why Bregman wanted to make a film that was a character study, not a police procedural. For example, Bregman was in talks to have John Albertson direct Serpico. But Albertson wanted to spend time on politics and hearings instead of focusing on Frank Serpico. Of course, Albertson did not end up directing the film. Director Sidney Lumet was available after Albertson dropped out and read the book and then met with DiLorentis and Pacino, and then things moved very quickly from there as he was hired to be the director of the film, all within a few days. Lumet liked the original script written by Waldo Salt, but it was way too long at over 240 pages. Now, the average script is anywhere from 95 to 110 pages, so 240 pages is like a four to a four and a half hour movie. Norman Wexler was brought in and essentially cut down the original script, but he didn't have the same gift of language like Waldo Salt. Pacino knew the Salt script already, so during rehearsals, Lumet and Pacino would incorporate the Salt script into the revised Wexler script. As Lumet put it, the script was Wexler's structure, but Salt's language. Prior to Serpico, a few of Lumet's most notable films included Twelve Angry Men, which was his directorial debut, The Parn Broker with Rod Steiger, Fail Safe with Henry Fonda, The Hill with Sean Connery, and The Anderson Tapes also with Sean Connery. Lumet did meet the real Frank Serpico about three days before shooting began. Lumet thought he was a great guy, full of energy and unlike anyone he'd ever met. And Pacino spent a lot of time with Frank to study how he was and, and the two became very close. Pacino really studied how Frank thought, not necessarily how he talked and moved, but his thought process. Frank thought he would be able to be on the set during filming, not realizing that in movies and shooting films, that's not how things are done. Lumet had to inform him of this, and Frank was shocked and a bit hurt, thinking he had done something wrong. But the fact is, for Pacino to get the best performance possible, he can't be looking over his shoulder and being self-conscious and distracted by outsiders, even if the outsider is the person you're portraying on screen. Today, we're sort of used to corruption stories, but this was relatively new ground to cover in the early 1970s. Serpico's story was common knowledge to those involved in law enforcement, but not to the general public. So this opened the eyes of many not privy to the corruption going on in the New York police force at the time. Lumet's directing and filming style isn't to shoot multiple takes. He likes to work quickly and often shoots only one take. And by working quickly, Lumet finds he can spot the weak link of the production crew and can dismiss them early on, instead of finding out later in the process, which makes it harder to replace folks. This style was completely different to Al Pacino, who had just come off working with Francis Ford Coppola on The Godfather, whose style is very deliberate and drawn out. Pacino loved working Lumet's fast-paced environment because he could be in the moment, and it would be captured immediately, instead of having to constantly try to regain what state of mind he was in for take after take. So Pacino's acting style was to be in the state of the particular character. He was basically becoming that person. So much so that Pacino would walk in the rougher areas of New York after shooting because he wanted to feel what it was like to be Frank Serpico and what he went through. One of the key things Lumet felt was that since Serpico was a true story and the events on screen really happened, the best way to keep the audience engaged with the realism was to have the actors on screen that they didn't necessarily know from other films which is why the majority of the cast were newcomers in some form or another. Even Pacino was a newcomer in many ways. It also helped with the budget to not have a big-name cast. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with the sound of police sirens blaring all over the opening credits. We then see a badly wounded Frank Serpico, of course that's Al Pacino, in the back of the cop car. The call goes into the police headquarters that Frank's been shot. One theory is that another cop shot him. We don't know why yet, but Frank Serpico has a lot of enemies on his so-called own team in the New York Police Department. He arrives at the hospital half dead. In the middle of the emergency surgery performed on Frank, we see flashbacks of for when he graduated from the police force. 
you heard at the end of the clip asking for the 24-hour guard is Police Chief Sidney Green, played by John Randolph. While Frank lays in the hospital bed, he again flashes back to his graduation day, which was a proud moment for not only him, but his entire family. We see him arrive at the precinct for his first day on the force. Frank is partnered with a longtime veteran, as is usually the case with rookies, to show him the ropes. For example, Frank and his partner go to a deli for lunch. The veteran cop didn't even order his lunch. The owner of the deli basically said, how about cream of chicken soup? The veteran cop says, that's great, but Frank wants a roast beef sandwich. So the deli owner looks kind of miffed, but agrees to the order. When Frank gets his sandwich, it's all fat and barely any meat. So what Frank didn't realize is that in that particular joint and many others in town, cops eat free. So if you're eating free, you don't really get to choose what you order. You get what is offered to you. And Frank didn't realize this. And he didn't like that either. He'd rather pay than go through the payola in the graft system. What Frank begins to learn is that the veteran cops have been living off the fat of the land for a long time and are used to being lazy and doing the bare minimum because this sort of I scratch your back, you scratch mine nonsense that's been going on for decades. An example of this is when a call comes into the radio that a rape is in progress. Frank's patrol partner, another officer, not the one from the deli, is sleeping in the passenger seat and says to skip the call because it's not their particular section. However, this attitude doesn't pertain to serious crimes like rape, so Frank decides to take the call. Frank and his partner find three men attempting to rape a woman at knife point. The three men eventually let the women go, and they try to flee on foot. They all run in different directions, and Frank catches one of them. Other one. 
took his thing out. He put it up to my mouth. He held me down. They said if I didn't do it, they'd kill me. He's gonna make a hell of a witness. Would you like to stretch it? Okay, hard on. Who are your playmates? Hey, Frank, you want a piece of this? No, I want to fill out the arrest card. Right off the bat, Frank is seeing what it's like to be an officer in New York. It's nothing like what he learned in the academy, especially beating up a suspect to get a confession. Frank decides to use a different strategy. Before the suspect is sent to jail to be held before his arraignment, Frank takes him across the street to get some coffee, without cuffs, and tries to reason with the kid. From what Frank gathered, the kid that was caught likely wasn't the ringleader, so why is he protecting them? They're going to all get off scot-free while he will get the harshest penalty since he's the one that was caught. Hey, child. Let me have five minutes with him. Sure. Thanks. Thank you, Chum. That prick really worked you over. How do you feel? How come you didn't stay for the fun? That's not my kind of fun. Yeah. I want to talk to you. I want to take you across the street, get you a cup of coffee without cuffs. Now look, I didn't touch you upstairs, right? You take off on me, I'll put one in your back. Understand? Come on. Goddamn shame you're gonna take this whole rap yourself. Maybe you're guilty, maybe you're not. Maybe you just went along for the ride. I got a feeling you just went along. You're the one who got caught. Never even got your cock out. Put it in the report. It's in the report. Look at you. I can't eat. No, you can't. 
I don't understand you, you know what I mean? What are you, what are you, obligated to those guys? Fuck it. They left you holding the bag. You don't owe them nothing. They're gonna put you away, you know that? What can I get? Oh, I see. Kidnapping. Sodomy. Rape. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You talk to me. Save yourself. The next scene, we see Frank at the basketball court where we see the other two suspects and they're playing basketball. Frank apprehends both guys together and then he calls his precinct and they say, well, it's not his case. The detective on the case is not available and Frank is supposed to wait. <laughs> That's ridiculous, right? Frank thinks so and dresses in plain clothes and arrests both guys in a surprise attack. Back at the station, Frank learns another lesson about how things are done. Frank wants credit on the caller since, of course, he's the one that actually arrested the suspects. However, the detectives who sat on their lazy asses in the station are the ones who get credit with the arrest. Because, you know, it wouldn't look good if a patrolman was given the credit. It's the seniority bullshit. When Frank objects, the veteran detectives come up with all sorts of nonsense like he was out of his jurisdiction and he didn't make his entry into the patrol book. Frank, after work, goes to a local shoe repair shop and also sees his buddy Pasquale. Pasquale might also be his brother. I'm not sure. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. I'm going to call him the buddy. Saturday night. I'm sorry, but I couldn't make it. You know, Margaret invited Marianne over. Marianne was very disappointed that oh, you didn't show this, up. Oh, now, look. I don't like that. I mean, really, don't invite people over if you know I'm, you know, if you don't know, if you're not sure I'm going to come. I mean it now. If I want to see Marianne, I'll call her. What's going on with you two, anyway? Hey, Pasquale, I'm going to tell you something. See, all day long, I work with cops. Right? Now, when I go out, I see Marianne. Her father's a cop. Her brother's a cop. Her uncle's a cop. I got a feeling she's a cop, too. <laughs> How you doing on the job? He's got his problems. Hey, Mama tells me that you're looking for a new apartment. Is that true? Yeah. So, where are you going? I don't know. I'm looking around by school. NYU? Greenwich Village? Yeah, What's the matter? The old neighborhood's not good enough for you, Frankie. Tell Pop I was here. Yeah. Frankie, Sunday? Sunday what? Dinner? Huh? 
Do me one favor. I know, I know. No, Marianne. Though it's not directly labeled, the timeline progresses in months and possibly years. The only way we know is by how Frank now has a mustache and the hair on his head grows longer. He decides to take a fingerprint course and assignments in order to pursue a path to becoming a detective. He gets a new apartment and buys a puppy for $5 from two kids selling a litter outside of his place. It's probably not on the up and up, but hey, it's New York in the 1960s. Hey, wanna buy a puppy? get these dogs oh they're mine want one for free uh oh, i'll pay for it how much are they five dollars you got it okay now which one of you guys want to come with me <laughs> what Listen, will you do me a favor? What? Just watch the car and my stuff over here because I'm moving in. Yeah. Thank you. Frank takes a course to learn Spanish and meets an attractive blonde ballet dancer from his class named Leslie, played by Cornelia Sharp, and they start dating. One of the veterans in the fingerprint department is always annoyed by Frank, who isn't an old-school uptight cop like everyone else. So when Frank nonchalantly discusses his new interest in the ballet, it gets taken the wrong way by Lieutenant Steiger, played by James Tolkien, who overhears the conversation. By the way, most people remember Tolkien as Principal Strickland in Back to the Future. He was also memorable in Top Gun. What are you reading now, Sepico? My Life by Isadora Duncan. She was a ballet dancer. A belly dancer? Oh, a ballet dancer. Ballet. You know ballet? A little. A little bit, huh? You ever see one? Not close. I've been to the ballet. It's terrific. I've been taking classes, you know. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's where I go after I leave here. Yeah? Fantastic for your body. Oh. It builds you up. I can tell. You noticed, huh? I noticed. Well, there's five positions, you know that? Five you're being shortchanged. Oh, no, it's enough, believe me. But what? Watch. See? This is the first position. From this position, I can do anything. You want to see? Sure. Here we go. Bye! Bye! Lieutenant Steiger, no, I need No, no, later. Hey, turn off the lights! Oh, hot! I wanted to read! Positions, positions. In positions like that you don't see in a pretzel factory. Now I gotta do my pee pee in the dark. Oh, she's gotta be a nympho with positions like that. Reciprocal. How can you piss at a time like this? Bardo wants a specimen. I'm gonna look into this matter. <laughs> Try to have where? Third window down, third window down. I don't see anything over there. Let me see. Oh, she just pulled down a shade. Wow. You gotta be some kind of jinx, you know that, Sir Paul? That's right, blame me. 
hold it, sir. Because what, what were you two doing? In the shit house, in the dark. Were you going down on him? What are you talking about? You're going to tell me you were just doing a little peep and Tom, you were sucking his cock, weren't you? Are you crazy? Yeah, I'll show you fucking crazy. Last week, I found a pair of shorts with semen on them. There. You're actually accusing me of it? Good morning, Captain McLean. I'm Officer Serpico. I was told I could talk to you, sir. Oh, certainly, sir. Come in. So after accused of being gay, which was frowned upon to say the least in the police force back then, Frank requests a transfer. In the meantime, in the neighborhood Frank lives, his friends call him Paco, and he goes to a party with Leslie and makes quite the impression. for an advertising agency, and uh, Sally's an actress, but she works for a photographer. Hello. Paco's a policeman. Oh, that's terrific. I work for the police department. Oh, hey. That's really nice. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, How are you? Pat's a novelist, but uh, you're working for an insurance company now, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Paco's a policeman. Really? How exciting. I'm up too. Right now, I'm filing fingerprints. Uh, listen, I file insurance policies. <laughs> we should get together then. Uh, hey, file that was an improvement. I want to ask you something. Mm-hmm. How come all your friends are on their way to being somebody else? Think about that. I want to ask you something else, too. Mm-hmm. Will you do me a big favor? Don't tell anybody I'm a cop. You know, let me just sort of do it myself. Man, are you really a cop? Right, I am. Leslie is a mind fucker. You gotta be kidding. I didn't know that. What's a mind fucker? Well, that's a chick who digs intellectual types and super bright guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's very perceptive. Japanese culture and theater and painting, it's too rigidly stylized. Well, you, you know, yeah, but I think after a while, mm-hmm. when you get through that, you start to appreciate the clarity mm-hmm. or the authority. I got a sheepdog. Yeah. There have been sheepdogs in my family dating back for 16 generations. <laughs> Dating back to the Borgias, the family crest uh-huh. is a sheepdog pissing into a gondola. <laughs> Paco, everybody loves you. I love you. So Frank's personality is kind of caught in between. He's sort of a free spirit who looks nothing like a clean-cut cop, and he actually almost looks like a hippie in many ways. So the cops look at him strangely, while the free spirits at first don't know what to make of him because he is, after all, a cop. 
However, now his look is perfect for doing undercover assignments, and he stops a robbery in progress. Officer Sepulchre, That fucking thing on your lip, it goes. And get a haircut. Ah, uh, sir. That's an order. You look like an asshole with dentures. Do I have the right of appeal, sir? Sure. Go see Captain Tolkien. You got one foot in shit already. Put the other one in. Oh, where might that be, I wonder, sir? Thank you, sir. That is one hell of a mustache. I wish I had the guts. Well, I, I have what I consider to be good reasons for wearing it, sir. You don't have to tell me. But I'd like to tell you, sir. I thought so. I think it's time that we started uh, to communicate more on the streets. You know, the way it is, we're totally isolated, sir. I mean, we're completely out of touch with what's happening. An undercover cop walks around in disguise wearing black shoes and white socks. <laughs> Everybody knows who he is. You made your point. I, I want you to keep your mustache. And I'd like you to patrol in your own car, wear whatever you want. How does that strike you? I like that, sir. I'll be honest, I'm bucking for detective. No shit. No. supposed to recognize you. You stupid fuck. Frank, I didn't know you. You didn't know me. You fire without looking. You fire without a warning, without a fucking brain in your head. Oh, shit. If I buy one, you motherfucker, I'm not going to buy it from you. Look at that mess. Filling out forms till next month. Good. Hey, Jesus, Frank. I know it's a hell of a time to ask you, but I I'm going to have to go through all that ballistics bullshit. Good, you should. It's going to look like hell if I don't have anything to show for it. Frank, do me a favor. Give us the collar. Motherfucker. 
You want the collar, huh? You don't want to fill out forms, right? buddy only you tell token i gave it to you so while frank likes to do things by the book as much as possible sometimes you have to pick your battles in the meantime the cops and frank's new precinct get to try out some marijuana for research purposes of course he also makes friends with bob played by tony roberts who is leading a task force for the mayor's office to investigate police corruption passing out these marijuana cigarettes for you to sample so that when you become plainclothesman, you'll be able to identify the pungent aroma and recognize the disorienting effect of the drug when you observe them in narcotic suspects. Among users of the drug, a marijuana cigarette is referred to as reefer, stick, roach, joint. The drug itself is referred to as pot, tea, boo, stuff, milf, Hey, this is real good shit. I gotta have something to eat. Oh, look what it is. Look what it is. It's a, it's a potato factory is what it is, and I have to have something. I love, I love it. I love it. We have nothing to do. I have to have it done. I have to go to another slot there. That's that doesn't work. It's from the Civil War. It's Hold on. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Shoot it out. Please. I beg of you. Come out. Potatoes. Come out. You're pretty fucking weird for a cop. Me? You? What about you? What a weird buddy? guy. You? Me? You're a fucking hippie. It's beautiful, though. Two of us. Gimme. Also, to show how casual some parts of the 1960s were, Leslie nonchalantly informs Frank one day that she's going to get married to a rich guy in Texas in a, you know, in a few months. Seems like the free spirit Leslie isn't immune to money. Frank doesn't take it so badly because he's basically married to his job at this point. However, Frank receives some cash, 300 bucks, from another cop, though it's never really explained why. It could have been for staying quiet on the caller earlier when the cop accidentally shot at him and he didn't want to do the paperwork. Frank is unsure what to do, but he ends up meeting Bob to tell him what happened. Both Frank and Bob meet with the second highest ranking official in the NYPD. The official gives Frank two options, and neither one of them is great. One is to testify about the corruption to a grand jury, and if Frank does this, well, he'll probably get knocked off before the trial even begins. The other option is to simply forget it and move on. In any case, Frank decides to give the cash to his commanding officer and plays dumb saying he doesn't know what to do with it. The officer says he'll just give it to the policeman's benevolent fund. At home, Frank ends up meeting his next-door neighbor, a nurse named Lori, and ends up dating her. Is that Beerling? No, it's the Stefano. I was sure it was Beerling. You can hear it better over here. 
That's an invitation, right? Right. Coffee. I'll have to take a rain check. I'm due at the hospital. Why don't you call in sick? Perfect place. <laughs> Not me. What, are you dedicated to something? That's right. I'm dedicated. Most men can't stand it. Well, what do they know? I like your garden. Hey, love my garden. Okay, I love your garden. You know what they say, don't you? No, what did they say? If you love a man's garden, you gotta love the man. <laughs> you like high offy? Frank gets transferred to another division, and it's assured it's as clean as can be, but that quickly is rejected when one of his colleagues, whom he knew from past assignments, basically takes a bribe and tries to give Frank a collar he didn't get. Ironically, the cops don't trust cops who aren't on the take. The theory is that it's not like they're skimming dope, it's a few hundred bucks here and there, and of course, it's never that small, it's never that simple. Now look, it's not like Frank is some sort of saint who never does anything wrong. But the difference is, is he's ethical, and he took a sacred oath to uphold the law at all times, not just when it's convenient. He's always respected the honor of having a badge, ever since he was a kid, which is why he wanted to become a cop in the first place. So it just disgusts him to see what's going on. You know, he's thinking, well, who's the real criminal here? The cops let the drug dealers and pimps do their thing so that they can shake them down later. Frank meets his new partner, who is a bit of a nut job, and he's also the collector for the division, as in bribe collector. Basically, they shake down the pimps and drug dealers for cash and pocket the dough. If these cops spent as much time busting the criminals and putting them away instead of simply shaking them down, they could have cleaned up the city. But these guys simply don't care about their original oath at this point. It's about making easy cash as much as possible. The police commissioner knows about Frank and wants him to keep gathering information about the corruption, but Frank doesn't have a timetable given to him. So he's in great danger, and he's in limbo the entire time this is going on. 
Frank's nut job partner is now reassigned, and a new bag man is in his place, who is less enthused about this job. The common theme with these guys on the take is that they want to support their family, meaning it's expensive to send their kids to good schools, things like that. And since Frank isn't married or has kids, it's easy for him to be honorable, according to the guys on the take. At least that's how they rationalize it. Frank doesn't take his share of the cut. It's simply set aside, and he doesn't care what happens to it. Frank is anxious that the police commissioner is dropping the ball on this, so Bob tells him to go outside the NYPD into the mayor's office. However, that falls through since the mayor doesn't want to alienate the police force with a warm summer approaching and potential riots being rumored for the community, which is unrelated to the force. Frank is beyond pissed, and he's dejected because he's basically stuck his neck out for nothing. However, he still has to act like everything is normal when he's doing his work. said, if I change my mind, you hold my share. You give it back. I didn't change my mind. I didn't it. All right. What's my look, money I'll, stealing? Look, I'll handle Rebello. I'll get back the money he took. But this ain't gonna happen again. From now on, no more three bag men. Starting today, every one of you fucks makes his own collections. No stops, no bread. Okay? Okay. Right, you got it. What about you, Frank? Well, I'll make up with Don Why should I stop now? Everybody feel a lot better about you, Frank. You can always give it to charity, Frank. Look, Frank, what do you say? A hundred a month just for expenses? For my secretary and my business lunches, entertainment. All right, we split Frank's share from now on. Schmuck, Frank. They would take all that energy, see? put it into straight police work, we'd have the city cleaned up in a week. They'd clean up, there'd be no crime. See, if I could work alone, that's the thing, see? If I could just get work alone. But they don't like that, see? They, want, they don't want that, they want to suck you in. You go over the same thing, Paco. So fucking corrupt, everybody, everyone, nobody giving a shit. There's got to be a way to wipe it out. God damn it, there's got to be a way. Let's get out of here for a while, huh, honey? Let's go to a movie. Oh, you quit handling me. What are you doing? Go to a movie. How am I going to go to a movie? You know they'd kill me if they knew. Do you know that? You think that hasn't happened? Either you're exploding or you lie around like a catatonic. I can't stand it, Paco. Don't give a shit, right? All I care about is you. That's all that matters to me. That's why it hurts so much I can't stand to see you like this. Scared miserable, dreading to go to work, it's tearing me apart. And then I get sick of hearing about it and I start hating myself. Right. <laughs> you didn't like the whole idea of my being a cop, so don't give me that shit. You never did. I love you, Paco. I want to marry you. I want to have children with you. God damn it! I hate it! If you hate it so much, why don't you get out? Why don't you? It's crossed my mind. <laughs> well, do it. <laughs> 
Getting out would be the easiest way to avoid all of this bullshit, but Frank stays in because deep down, he couldn't live with himself if he ran away. Frank stays on the job and gets a tip from an informant about an Italian mobster and a loan shark, and Frank decides to bust him. Though the rest of the detectives thinks it's a big joke. Hold it! I'm a police officer. And... Wait a minute. You're under arrest. Well, I thought you were some fucking junkie. Yeah, I'll take that wad in your pocket. You're a riot, kid. I know, I'm a joke. What are you doing? What's that? Put that away, you're in more trouble. Give me the keys to your car. <laughs> Where they been hiding you, kid? What do you like to know? Hold this guy for me. Get a rap sheet on him. We'll search his car. Where's the song? Smith took him upstairs. I swear to God, I thought this guy was some fucking jungle. <laughs> hey, no, listen, you should see some. Hey, you. Hey, who? You. Get over here and empty your pockets. I don't do that. You're my prisoner. You do what I tell you to do. Get over here. <laughs> He's gonna get nasty about it. Fuck me, man! Fire, cool it, man! Hey, motherfucker! Frank! Hey, Frank, Rudy's on. He's good people. Stay the fuck out of this! Got that record check on Casaro. There's a bunch of power, Casaro. Here, read it. Wait. He did 15 years. You know what for? For killing a cop. He's a fucking cop killer. It's good to see you again, Frank. Frank. Okay. 
finished. What's wrong? I can't take it anymore. I gotta get out. If I have to go back to uniform, I'm going back to uniform. I can't wait for Delaney to call, and I can't play their game anymore. I'm right in the middle. I can't take it. Frank, you mean to say the commissioner didn't get in touch no, with you? No, he didn't get in touch with me. Not a Frank, word. I no investigation. Frank. No undercover I, I work. Nothing. I have no idea, Frank. Well, Captain, I think it's only fair to tell you I've been to outside agencies. I'm going to go to more if I have to. What outside agencies? Holy mother of God. Frank, we wash our own laundry around here. Oh, yeah? Now, you could be brought up in charges for I this. I always thought so, but the oh, reality is that we do not wash our own trouble, laundry. Sir, it just oh, gets dirty. You are in trouble. I don't care if I'm in trouble. I don't care who gets it anymore, including myself. Because if I have to go to outside agencies to get somebody to hear my story, well, where am I going to go? You hear me, sir, Paco? Stay away from where me. Where am I going to go? You just wait until you hear from me. I've been waiting for a year and a half. What are you talking about? you, Frank. That's not enough. I'll get back. But where am I going to go? It's my life, you fuck! All right, so where does this put Frank? Will the police commissioner or the mayor's office do anything about the corruption? Or will they simply just hang Frank out to dry? The final 30 minutes answers all of this and much more. Look, you were seeing Pacino in all of his glory. You really couldn't touch his performances in the 1970s, and he carries this film by himself. He simply is a force, unlike most actors, and he deserves all of the acclaim he's been given over his years. And even though the original Godfather gave him a tremendous start, Serpico was actually the film that made him a star. All right, some fun facts. The real Frank Serpico went to the original premiere in 1973, but he never actually watched the entire film. He said he didn't watch the film in its entirety until 2010, and part of this may have been due to Frank's friendship with John Alvidson, who of course had left the film before it was made. Al Pacino was nominated for Best Actor, but he lost to Jack Lemmon for his role in Save the Tiger. Serpico was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, but that loss to The Exorcist. So the film was shot in reverse order. Pacino began with long hair and a beard, and then for each scene, his hair and beard were trimmed a bit by bit, and then he eventually became clean cut. After he decided to make the film, Pacino invited the real Frank Serpico to stay with him at a house that Pacino had rented in New York. When Pacino asked Serpico, why did you do it? Serpico replied, well, Al, I don't know. I guess I would have to say it would be because if I didn't, who would I be when I listen to a piece of music? Essentially, how could he live with himself? All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't seen Serpico, just go out and see it. It is tremendous. You really get to see Al Pacino at his prime. And again, he carried that throughout the 70s. And I will be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.